Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Um, I want to take you back to, to Tuesday evening this week, okay? So um, it's, been a, it's been a busy day, you know, and I, I've just wrangled the kids to bed a, a couple of times, and um, it's time to sit down and think through and work on my, my sermon for this morning. And my first thoughts are, oh, I really should probably be a bit further along by now, or oh, if I'd spent more time kind of praying about it, if I'd oh, spent, read up on a few more things... Um, but as I sit down, I think, uh, I think of Hannah, uh, my wife, <clears throat> and she's just set off to Gorton um, for the first week of our Alpha course. Um, I think about people coming along there to, to ask questions, to spend time together, um, to learn about Jesus, maybe for the first time. Um, and as I think about this, I'm, I'm excited. Um, I feel excited that lots of people were going to hear about Jesus and excited that our God wants to welcome people back to him and that he changes lives. Um, so I, I kind of paused before I came to uh, this sermon and I, just, I prayed for the Alpha Course. And kind of just into the, the peaks and troughs of my day, I just felt so glad for the gospel, so glad for Jesus. And uh, today we're continuing our series in Galatians. Um, And as we look at Galatians, we're going to read week after week um, of Paul's defence for the grace freely given to us in Jesus, and that that is the only way for us to be right before God. So in a nutshell, uh, Paul has seen people uh, come to follow Jesus in Galatia, (laughs) um, mainly Gentiles, so not Jewish. And as Paul has moved Uh, on from Galatia to preach the gospel elsewhere. Um, Some other people have come in and said, um, yes, you do come to God through Jesus, but um, you've also got to do a bunch of other stuff as well. And so Paul is pretty mad, right? Okay. And Paul is writing this letter to say very clearly, no. Okay. Like no, an emphatic no. Um, And this morning, uh, I want us to see the truth, the freedom the community presented to us in the gospel as Paul writes in this passage. So today we're going to uh, read Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. So maybe open your Bibles, it might pop up on the screen, maybe. But I'm just going to read now Galatians 2, uh, verses 1 to 10. So it says, uh, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went up in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders. I presented to them the gospel that, uh, that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. 
As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. Now, um, our passage today uh, starts with, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem. If we kind of rewind a little bit here and kind of whiz through chapter one, um, we see uh, Paul describes how the risen Jesus appeared before him. Um, Then three years later, verse 18 of chapter one, we see that he went to Jerusalem to uh, get to know Peter. And later it says, uh, then I went to Syria and Cilicia. And then later it says, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. So where we read then after 14 years, it's telling us that uh, for 14 years, Paul has been telling everyone about the good news of Jesus. He's been preaching the gospel. He's been telling everyone that people are made right before God, not by works, but by grace, the gift of God. And in this time, he started to see the church grow in various places in the Gentile world. There are now many new converts to Christianity. But 14 years in, Paul has a problem, a big problem. And this is why he's going to Jerusalem. He's going to Jerusalem to meet with uh, James, Peter and John, um, the people that had walked in closest proximity to Jesus while he was on earth. And the apostles in Jerusalem were taking the good news of Jesus to uh, the Jews, seeing Jewish uh, converts to Christianity and overseeing churches made up of new followers of Jesus from Jewish backgrounds. Um, but why has Paul gone to, gone to talk to them? Paul's big problem. So verse four of our passage today says, false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. Paul has um, gone to see the leaders in Jerusalem and he is writing the letter, this letter to the churches in Galatia because after preaching the gospel there, a group of people have come in and essentially said, no, that, that's not enough. And th- this group called the Judaizers, they've come into these communities of new believers and they've said, you know, what, what Paul's told you is, is great, but you, you know there's another half to the story, right? Um, I should hope you do. Um, Paul, you know, he wasn't taught by, by Jesus when he was around. Um, have you heard what the leaders in Jerusalem say? Yes, it's by, by grace that you've been saved. But now, if you want to live um, a holy life, to be right with God, you've, you've got to do a bunch of other stuff too. Like men need to be circumcised. Essentially, you need to follow the law as given by Moses. So actually, Jesus isn't enough for you. And this is what these guys are coming and saying. And Paul is being hammered by these guys. And 
I want us to look at how he responds to this in our passage today. Um, So Paul, writing in verse 1, talks about how he went up again to Jerusalem. And why has he done this? So it says, in response to a revelation from God. So there's kind of an, an external reason. And for fear, for fear of running his race in vain, like an internal reason. Um, and now Paul is writing that he is fearful. And, and this should kind of make us take up, uh, sit up and notice. Because he does not come across as the sort of person who's given to feeling afraid. Paul was a bold persecutor of the church and then an even bolder preacher of the gospel. So, so why is he afraid here? There was nothing that was threatening Paul's certainty about what he was said. He'd received the gospel not from another person, but from the risen Jesus. His concern was for his fruitfulness of the message that he had preached, for the people that were being led astray by others spreading a different message entirely. So his concern really was twofold. Firstly, for these new believers who he had seen come into freedom and life in Jesus, becoming enslaved by false teaching. And secondly, for the glory of God. Paul is clear that union with Christ is wholly a gift of God. And to suggest that our works contribute to our standing before God is to rob God of his glory, of what he has done for us in Jesus. That Jesus was the perfect and sufficient sacrifice for our sin. So false teachers were telling young Christians that Paul was preaching a gospel that was an inadequate version, not as full as what was being preached by these leaders in in Jerusalem. Paul knew that he would not be able to keep his churches in sound gospel teaching if he did not disprove this. And this is, what, this is why he feared the danger of running the race in vain. Not worry for what he'd said, but concern um, that the message he preached was being distorted and that new converts to the gospel were being led astray. This, is, I think you can imagine, this was a high stakes meeting. If Jerusalem apostles <laughs> were to tolerate this teaching, those teaching against Paul, it, it would have split the, church, the early church in two. And for Paul, this wasn't, this wasn't an abstract theory, but it cut to the heart of all that he was, all that he lived for. And so, so what happened? So we've looked at the stakes, kind of what, what was the verdict? Um, one of the key aspects of Paul coming to Jerusalem was that, as we see in verse one, uh, he brought Titus along with him. Titus, as we see in verse 3, was a Greek. He wasn't a Jew, and he would never have lived in accordance to to law given by Moses. There was nothing culturally Jewish about him whatsoever. Paul had brought like a walking, talking question to the leaders in Jerusalem. Like, what about Titus? What do you make of him? And by God's grace, the Jerusalem apostles walked the walk rather than just talking the talk. They did not insist on Titus's circumcision or any other ritual before uh, f- having fellowship with him. Paul says they added nothing to my message. 
Now, when I first read that, I, I thought it was, you know, sounded a bit like, well, they didn't add anything. They didn't really contribute. But um, I think it's definitely more meant to be sa said um, that they did not insist on adding anything at all to the message that Paul was preaching. And this is massive for our understanding of the Christian faith. The countless regulations for cleanliness uh, were designed, among other things, to show us kind of how impossible it was to make ourselves perfectly acceptable before a holy God. The acceptance of Titus by Jewish believers was a vivid illustration that an individual becomes spiritually clean and acceptable through Christ <coughs> alone, not through any deeds or rituals. So the verdict was an emphatic welcome for Titus and a demonstration that there was nothing to be added to the gospel that Paul was preaching. And this is what Paul wants to make crystal clear to the Galatians. And this morning, I want us to talk about three implications we see in this passage um, of this kind of resounding victory, of this stamp of authority for Paul's message. So firstly, I want to talk about the, the truth that Paul is defending. And um, I want you to have a think about a question I have for you now. And I'm going to ask you to, to bear with me, okay? Because this question is going to sound pretty brutal, okay? <laughs> pretty harsh, yeah? So where would Paul look at you, your life, and be mad? Okay? I know. Um, as as indignant as he was writing to the Galatians. Okay. And I'm going to stop you there because automatically we hear that question and we think, oh, you know, like my, my quiet time has been a bit sporadic this week. Oh, I'm not sure he'd be impressed with that. Um, I've, I've watched quite a lot of Netflix and I, I don't think I'd put that on my spiritual CV. Um, I've been pretty grumpy at times. I wasn't particularly kind to so-and-so. And on and on and on the list goes. Spiral, spiral, condemnation. You're just left in condemnation. Why was Paul mad at the Galatians? Not because they weren't hitting a list of behaviours in order to be worthy before God. No, it was that they had become enslaved to hitting a list of behaviours in order that they might be worthy before God which Paul has asserted so emphatically that that is wrong. It is crippling. It is enslaving. Paul is mad in this letter. He's, he's heartbroken that these Galatians have moved away from the reality that their righteousness before God has been freely given to them in Jesus as the perfect and sufficient sacrifice for their sin. Instead of living, standing in that freedom as sons and daughters of God, their identity found not in their own efforts, um, their, kind of their filthy rags, but in the perfect life lived by Jesus. So to think of that question, I asked again, uh, where have we started to see our worth, our value, our righteousness outside of Jesus. Where would Paul look at our lives and say, no, I'm, I'm not having it? And that's 
That's not an easy question. <laughs> but I would encourage you to take some time, bring that question before God. He longs for us to live now in the freedom he has given us in Jesus. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, he has the power to save us, to free us from what can hold us captive. And if, if you're really brave, okay, ask someone that you, you know and you trust, maybe a friend, your husband, wife, where, where do you see in my life that I'm not living in the light of the gospel, in this freedom? Where am I enslaved to something else for my righteousness, for my worth? Okay, if, if you're very brave, okay, for that one. Um, so this, the second thing I want us to touch upon from this passage is freedom. And firstly, from this passage, I want to say that the gospel leads to cultural freedom. So a religion based on morals tends to press its members to adopt very specific rules and regulations for what you wear, uh, how you should behave, and why. Because if your salvation depends on obeying the rules, you want your rules to be very specific, very clear, very doable. Um, you want to be able to kind of check off how, how saved you are and apply those same standards to others too. But this is not the adventure that Jesus calls us to in the gospel. A moralistic religion would say, don't watch these films, uh, don't drink alcohol, don't eat this sort of food, relatively tickable things to follow. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbour as yourself. I mean, that's, that's pretty hard to, to tick off, right? Um, these set an impossibly high standard with endless implications that involves every part of us. With our sin forgiven and our freedom given to us in Jesus, Jesus calls us to live in that freedom. <clears throat> in this passage that we're looking at today, um, the Judaizers, this group that had come in and had been slamming Paul's message, they were tying everyone up in knots. But Paul's heart for the believers in the churches of Galatia was that they would know the freedom there is to be found in Christ. Tying up in knots leads to confusion and condemnation. Confusion of our identity and zero freedom from our sin, our brokenness. The gospel gives an emphatic and final answer of our identity and our total liberation from the judgment of sin. So this morning, I just want us to ask, just to reflect upon, where can we feel ourselves being tied up in knots in this way? Where are we trying to earn what we have already been given freely in Jesus? There is freedom for us, given to us in Jesus. And the last thing I want us to look at this morning um, is the unity we see in the gospel from this passage. And as uh, Paul, Barnabas, Titus, and maybe others came to Jerusalem to speak to the apostles, one thing was abundantly clear. Titus was different. He was not 
a Jew. He was Greek. Paul makes clear that Titus and all people are brought into relationship (coughs) with God, into the church through the grace given to them in Jesus. So what does gospel unity look like from this passage? So firstly, it looks like accepting anyone and everyone who is in Christ Jesus. If we add anything to the gospel, as a consequence, we're going to exclude others, as other people won't have added on what we have. As Christians, our unity, our belonging, is in Jesus. The diversity of the global church, the bride of Christ, that stretches across this planet, sings of the glory of God. And we, as individuals and collectively, having been made in the image of God, are being made more into his image each day. This diversity shouts of the power and the breadth of the gospel and gives glory to the one whose image it displays. Accepting anyone and everyone who is in Christ Jesus, um, it's it's not easier, but it, it is richer. And when you walk, like when you walk into a room, like naturally it's, it's easier to embrace the people who, who we have the most in common with. But God is glorified when we ultimately lean on the unity we have in Christ. Um, secondly, I want to say so that gospel unity uh, looks like recognising that we have different callings. So verse 7 of our passage says... They saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles as Peter had been to the Jews. Though Peter and Paul were preaching the same gospel, they recognised that there were different ways to go about it. As the body of Christ, we have a shared calling of loving the Lord God with all our heart, with loving our neighbour, but what that actually looks like will will be different. And Paul... um, gives us the the picture of being a body in Corinthians. And we are the body, different parts uh, with the same mission. And there is a calling here to celebrate the calling and uh, success, the work of others, and for them also to celebrate ours. As mutually sharing in the goal, we share in the mission together, sowing and pouring out God's love and, and grace to our specific areas freed from competition to celebration and God's glorious freedom. And the last thing I want to mention is that gospel unity looks like remembering the poor. Uh, The final thing we read in our passage in verse 10 is, um, all they ask is that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. So why is remembering the poor fundamental to Christian unity. So two reasons we see here in the passage, a general one and a specific one. The specific one we see in the passage is that the the Jewish churches, um, represented by the apostles in Jerusalem, were much poorer than the churches Paul was planting in Gentile areas. The Jerusalem apostles were urging that these churches stay tightly connected and that they share resources with each other, just as they would within the local congregation. 
Um, I love how, as Christchurch Manchester, we have different sites located across the city, kind of reaching into different contexts. I love how we see in our passage, in remembering the poor, remembering the different contexts into which the gospel is being preached, Paul is able to stand alongside the work the apostles are doing to build the church in the Jewish context and vice versa. Today, I love that we're passionate about building the church across different locations and contexts in our city. And in doing so, the poor are blessed by the rich and the rich are blessed by the poor. And the unity we have in Jesus is celebrated. What, what a joy. And the general reason we see is that care for the poor is a constant throughout the Bible. Jesus proved to John the Baptist that he was the Christ by pointing out that he healed bodies and that he preaches to the poor as the prophet said he would. Jesus lived, ate and associated with the lowest class of society. He showed mercy. And the Bible calls us to be like Jesus in this way. Caring for the poor isn't ultimately a, like a nice thing to do. Let's never dilute it to that. It's a foghorn that says the gospel is for everyone and that God's love reaches out to those most touched by the brokenness of this world. Unity in the gospel hammers home the message that we are made whole, made right in Jesus. Our standing before God is not gained in our nationality, uh, what we look like, what we do, how much money we have, but uniquely in the grace given to us in Christ. Disunity tears away at the message of the gospel that we are made right by Jesus. Unity celebrates our shared joy that we are found in him. The more uh, I sat with this passage this week, the more I have been warmed by the truth, the freedom, the unity that is in knowing Jesus. And I'm going to come into a bit of a close now, so maybe worship uh, going to head up. Um, but my encouragement this morning is let's praise God for the identity, the freedom and belonging he has given us in Christ. As we sit here this morning, there is nothing that we can do to earn favour with God and to make ourselves right before him. All that we need today, tomorrow, forevermore, has been freely given to us in Jesus. Jesus.